Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders Podcast, episode 22. I am your host, Andrew Gross. Please follow me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. We'll do more plugs later. But right to it, I'm sitting here in a hotel in Arizona. It's late at night. I am trying to wrap up and get a couple of hours of Z's before an early morning flight to Denver, where the Islanders are going to wrap up this four-game Western Swing. Uh, it's been eventful so far, if uh, devoid of victories. The Islanders 0-3 so far on the trip after Monday afternoon's 2-1 loss to the Coyotes in Glendale. I guess the positive would be they they actually scored a goal in this game. Uh, They broke a goal-scoring drought of 166 minutes and 46 seconds, going back to Leo Komarov's empty netter. Uh, with about four seconds left to go in a 5-3 win over the Flyers at uh, at Barclays, which by the time you hear this will be at least a week ago. Um, so <laughs> it had been a while for the Islanders to score. They, they felt like they got some scoring chances and uh, could have had more than the one goal. I think we've heard that before from the Islanders. But really, the the eventful part, you know, of the week is, you know, Casey Sezikis goes out with that uh, left leg laceration, uh, which severely hinders the Islanders' lineup. But the first thing they they do, and Lou Lamarillo had, you know, I think two fronts to approach in terms of trades before the Feb 24 deadline, uh, both offensively and defensively, certainly with... uh, with Sezikis out for a bit, and as you see on this trip, the, the the need for goals just at a premium. They need a score up front, but perhaps uh, even more pressing was they needed a defenseman. Uh, it just you know Noah Dobson, um, you know, Barry Trotz was 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 pretty honest in the fact that you know the 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 rookie was going to sit on. On Monday against the uh, on against the Coyotes, regardless of whether Lou Lamarillo had made a trade or not, but Lou Lamarillo did make a trade. He reached back into his New Jersey Devils past, and uh, as I had suggested, uh, I think a couple of times at least on this podcast, he acquired steady veteran Andy Green, uh, who had been the Devils' captain since 2015, uh, was in his 14th season with the Devils. Um, Lou signed him as an undrafted free agent in 2006. Andy Green uh, played on the team that went to the 2012 Stanley Cup Final, lost in six games to the Kings, obviously a big part of whatever success the Devils had uh, during his tenure there. Um Lou Lou sends a second round pick in 2021 and uh, minor league defenseman David Quenville uh, goes to the Devils for Andy Green, a 
you know, a little ironic, uh, David Quenville, uh, the, the Devils traded away his brother, John Quenville, to the Blackhawks. Uh, now David Quenville goes there. And, of course, uh, cousins of not only uh, Johnny Boychuk, but of Florida Panthers coach Joel Quenville. And uh, a very, you know, always fun talking to David Quenville. I always enjoyed him in training camp and summer development camp. So best of luck to David with the Devils organization. But Andy Green um, with, the, uh, with the Islanders now. And looked odd to see him in a different uniform and a different number. Uh, number four, you'll hear about that a little bit. Uh, we had Andy Green talking before the game about coming to the uh, to the Islanders. So we'll I'll play that uh, I'll play that interview for you in a, a few minutes here. But uh, Andy Green uh, may, makes his debut in a two-one loss to the Coyotes on Monday, as I said. And uh, you know what? Uh, He's he's not going to replace Adam Pellick long term. Obviously, uh, Green at thirty seven in the last year of a deal that's paying him five million. You know, uh, the future is certainly something that can wait for Andy Green. He's right now just consider him a rental. Um, but you know, for what the Islanders needed, and they needed a steady, defensive minded. Defenseman, a lefty, uh, specifically Noah Dobson, a righty, had been playing his offside for 19 straight games since Adam Pellick went out, and uh, you know Barry Trotz wanted to get back to the lefty-righty three pairs, which which Andy Green allows him to do, and also Andy Green is is a very good penalty killer, and uh, Islanders killed off both of the Coyotes' penalties. In fact, you know, Andy Green's first shift uh, morphs kind of from uh, five-on-five to the penalty kill when Brock Nelson takes a uh, hooking penalty in the game's first minute with Andy uh, on the ice to start the game. Andy uh, being paired with Ryan Pulak and uh, Barry Trotz is, is wanting to go back to the defensive pairs uh, that he had long established with the Islanders, which had been Pelik Pulak, and I'm reading from left to right, uh, Pelik Pulak, Taze Mayfield, and Letty Boychuk. And, uh, you know, Taze had been playing with Pulak, and, uh, uh, but this, this allows uh, Barry Trotz to kind of revert to what was comfortable for not only him, but for, for the team. And, uh, you know, Andy certainly looked very comfortable on the ice in the first game. Uh, you know, and Andy plays a very simple game, and I'm not trying to make him out to be, you know, a, a superstar Hall of Fame defenseman that the Islanders uh, acquired. What I'm saying is there was a specific need for a, a steady, defensive-minded, left-handed defenseman who can kill penalties. And Andy Green checks all the marks on that. And, you know, as I said to him after the game, um, I, I thought he looked comfortable from his first shift, which, you know, for having not practiced with these guys at all, I, I thought it was it was very impressive how comfortable he looked from the start. But you go back to Andy Green's game, which is very simple. Uh, you know, he's going to make the, the smart pass. He's going to get the puck going up ice as quickly as possible. He gets himself in good positions. He's still fast enough to uh, to get down low. And I saw a couple of times he would dip into the uh, left circle 
and, and look for a feed, uh, you know, going at the opposing net. Um, and a couple of times the puck got transitioned over pretty quickly, and, and Green skates pretty quickly going backwards. Um, you know, obviously one of the traits for a good defenseman. And uh, I was impressed with how quickly Andy got back into defensive position after, you know, trying to help the attack a little bit down low. Um, you know, obviously, I saw him when I covered the, the Devils. He was used on the power play uh, a little bit, but, you know, the, the Devils were not as deep as this Islanders team. Um, and I know the jokes you can make about the power play, which went 0 for 3 against the Coyotes, but, uh, you know, Andy, I don't think, is going to get power play uh, time. But... Uh, still, you know, promising debut for Andy Green with the Islanders, but still, it, it's an 0-3 trip with just one goal uh, so far in the three games. In fact, they're being outscored was at 6-8, 8-1 in the three games. That includes a 5 nothing loss at Nashville that was just a disaster in any way you can spell it. Um, uh, much better game, one nothing at Vegas, but still, you know, not enough generated. They did generate chances in Arizona. I mean, uh, they they hit three posts: Bailey, Letty, uh, Eberly, all strike iron, one each in a period, one two three, and uh, you know, in the second period, uh, deflection of a Taze feed with Lee and uh, Jordan Eberly banging away at the crease. I don't know how that puck didn't go over the goal line, but it, it did not. And Antiranta, the ex-Ranger, who's now the uh, Coyote starting goalie, somehow gets his left skate on that um, at the very last second with the puck about you know 90 to 95% of the way over the line. Uh, and they had a really good, you know, from the crossbar down angle on the shot. And... Uh, the, the puck did not go fully over the line, but the puck went as fully over the line as possible without completely going over the line. You know, so so the Islanders and Lou it's, make a trade. It's just Lou's second trade since coming to the Islanders uh, back in 2018 in May. Uh, in July of that year, he reacquired Matt Martin. So uh, now his trades read Matt Martin, uh, you know, and it's players Lou is clearly familiar with since uh, Lou had signed Matt Martin as a free agent uh, with the Maple Leafs when he was the Maple Leafs GM, and he reacquired Matty Martin for the Islanders, which was a natural fit, and uh, he goes into his devil's pass, like I said, to get Andy Green. Um, was the price high on this trade? Well, I, you've seen prices be high so far, um, you know, specifically with what Penguins GM... Uh, uh, Jim Jim Rutherford, Trader Jim, paid for Jason Zucker of the Wild. And, uh, you know, second rounder, uh, you know, David Quenville, as good a minor league defenseman as he is, you know, I'm not sure uh, he's going to develop into an NHL defenseman. So, uh, you know, you're really moving a, 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 a roster spot amongst the 50. They are opening up another roster spot. And, uh, you know or potentially opening up a roster spot and you get Andy Green and uh you give up a second rounder in in 2021 which is probably the the marquee acquisition there for the Devils and uh you know what you're hoping certainly from the uh 
from the Islanders' point of view is that it's going to be a lower pick in the second round. And you know what? You, you don't like giving up those second rounders, but you know, you're trying to make the playoffs this season. You got to give up something to get something. Defensemen do come at a premium at this time of the season. Uh, you know, obviously the Devils were not going to accept the third rounder, and, and you it had become clear uh, that the Islanders needed defense help now. You know, Barry Trot says in in Nashville after the 5 nothing loss that it was time to get Noah Dobson out of the lineup, not blaming everything on Noah Dobson. Obviously, he just had a really rough game in Nashville, and it didn't seem like his game was developing uh, or progressing. Uh, maybe it was regressing a little bit with the, uh, the strain of playing so many games in a row. So they want to get back a little bit to the development mode with Noah Dobson. Uh, Barry Trotz said he was going to play Sebastian Ajo against the Coyotes, even if they hadn't acquired Andy Green. You know, Sebastian Ajo now kind of the odd man out in this because he goes back to Bridgeport. I'm not sure he's going to get another shot with the big club this season. Um, So, yeah, was it a lot to give up for Andy Green? I, I wouldn't say, you know, it was an exorbitant, exorbitant sum as I try and fumble my way through uh, more than a two-syllable word. Um, however, you know, it's it's market price. And, uh, you know, Lou is trying to make the playoffs this season. And, uh, you know, Barry's trying to make the playoffs this season. And it showed something to the players in the room, you know, who, you know, when trades aren't made, they say, oh, it, it tells us that, you know, management believes in us. But when a trade is made, it also, you know, the player's response is, well, it shows us that they believe in us because they're trying to make us better so we can make the playoffs. So, uh, you know, players have a response either way. But I do believe at this point, you know, players are not dumb. They they see the deficiencies in the lineup. And uh, certainly Andy Green fills one. And now, now it's time for Lou to acquire uh, a scoring forward. And uh, uh, towards that end, they, they put Cole Bardreau, uh uh, the center called up when Casey Sezikis, um was injured, had that skate blade go through his, uh, uh, around his left knee region and is out three to four weeks. So Cole Bardreau comes up, played a kind of nondescript game uh, against, the Pred- uh, against the Predators, uh, was a healthy scratch in Vegas, and uh, we get to Arizona. And he is put on waivers, and we'll find out, you know, it's 24 hours to clear. We'll find out if Cole clears or not. Um, But it it certainly would hint at the fact that Lou is looking to make another deal here, you know, specifically to uh, uh, reinforce his forward group. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, Andy Green uh, spoke before, uh, suiting up for the Islanders for the first time, kind of a whirlwind day for, uh, or two days for Andy. Now, you know, this, this trade did not blindside him and, and kudos to interim Devils GM Tom Fitzgerald, the, uh, former Islander, um, who, when I was covering the Devils, I long believed that he was going to be a good GM in this league, uh, when he was Ray Shiro's assistant. Um, you know, Andy Andy said that Tom 
sort of let him know every step along the way what was going on. Good communication because Tom Fitzgerald had been through this himself as a player and know, knew as a player what you wanted to hear from the GM, you know, the transparency there. Lou Lamarillo saying on a conference call and announcing the trade that, you know, pretty much as soon as Adam Pellick went down, he was in contact with the Devils specifically about Green. Um, but trades don't happen overnight. Some do, but th- this one doesn't. Um, and it was about a month, uh, more than a month, uh, honestly, six weeks of, uh, you know, periodic talks between Fitzgerald. Actually, when Pellet got hurt, Ray Shiro was still the Devils' GM, but periodic talks with Shiro and then Tom Fitzgerald, who was certainly clued into what Ray was talking to Lou about, um, and, you know, Andy molded over with his family, uh, young kids, four and two. And uh, finally, you know, he, he, he wrapped his head around the fact that he would accept this trade, waive his no trade clause. Um, said he got a call from uh, Tom Fitzgerald. Uh, uh, what was that? I guess that was on uh, Sunday. Yeah, I'm losing track of the days being on the road this long. But on Sunday... Um, the Devils were preparing for a game, I believe a 6 p.m. game uh, in New Jersey. Andy Green was home taking his pregame nap. The phone rings. He sees it's Fitzgerald calling him, and he kind of knows right away because why else would the assistant or the interim GM call you, you know, when you're trying to take a nap? And uh, Andy Green gets out to uh, Phoenix later on Sunday, and afternoon game Monday steps right in uh, and like I said I thought he looked real comfortable but uh, here's Andy in his own words describing uh, the trade to the Islanders and what it's like leaving the Devils. What are you hoping to carry over from New Jersey that experience um, as a veteran defenseman to this Islanders team? Yeah hopefully um, you know just uh, I play a pretty simple game to try to stabilize things and um, you know stay within myself I uh, don't try to make uh, plays that aren't there and, and try to you know be hard defensively hard to play against and then obviously uh, you know do a lot of work on the PK and um, it, you know that's that's the stuff that I, I look forward to and then chip in offensively whenever I can or and support the rush. Very few players get the opportunity to play with the same team for as long as you have. How strange was it for you today to put on the blue and orange and the Islanders gear? Yeah it was uh, it's it's different it, it is um, you, you know like you said being in one place for so long and um, being fortunate enough to have one, you know, play for one team, one organization, but um, you know that uh, that chapter's end and the new one starts today. And um, looking forward to it. My uh, my kids watch a show, and one of their shows, uh, the character on there is blue and blue and orange. It's their favorite color. So uh, that was one of the first things they thought about when they, when they saw the new colors. So they were they were excited. Uh, I don't know if they really get it, but they you know that they they were excited. What are the emotions? I don't know if you had time to say goodbye to anyone in Jersey, but what are the emotions leaving that organization? And then also the excitement of, you know, we know where the Devils are. Now you're back in the middle of a playoff push here. It was, uh, I was unfortunately, I wasn't able to say, say bye to any of the guys, really. Um, not in person, obviously through text and, and whatnot. And um, with being a game, uh, you know, being a game there last night and then this happening, we weren't quite sure when I was going to get out last night. So uh, I was at home getting everything prepared, um, y- you know, hanging out with the family last for, for the last little bit and tying up some things there. And um, But can't say enough positive things about uh, about New Jersey. Obviously, the guys, the, the, the organization, the uh, the experience, um, 
you know, they gave me my first shot uh, back in 2006, and uh, I've been there ever since. And um, you know, there's it's hard to digest that that much time in uh, you know in just a, a few hours, but uh, it was uh, it was great. And then, like you said, looking forward to jumping right in this, uh, uh, playing meaningful games down the stretch here, and and uh, you know, fighting for playoffs. What does it say about your relationship with Lou? that all these years later after, you know, he signs you out of college, that he still has this trust in you? Yeah, uh, it's, uh, like you said, I've always had a really good relationship with Lou from day one. Um, I I always enjoyed when he was there. I always loved playing for him and, and working for him. And um, I know I know what's expected out of uh, or what he expects out of you. Uh, not only as a player, but as a person. And and uh, so that, that that's one less... Um, kind of transition thing you have to worry about because I know I know what's expected it's uh it's it's black and white there's no gray area with him and and and, you know like I said that's one area more comfortable in being in that situation do you offer Pooley anything for six (laughs) (laughs) no he offered he honestly did uh I told him like I told Lou I said listen uh Lou gave me my first number I didn't even choose that you can give my second number so uh, um it's uh, you know, I'm not coming in here to you know step on toes and take take a guy's number away or anything like that. That's that's his number, and uh, you know whatever they gave me, I was I was fine with. Well, Andy Thomas it's Gerald, the former Islander. Can you talk about how he handled this as a rookie GM and you know helped you get through the deal? Uh, it was it was phenomenal. Uh, like like I said, we had a, an initial conversation uh, probably about a month ago, and um, it, you know it was one of those. Where he said he's not, uh, he doesn't want to get rid of me. You know, he doesn't doesn't want to. But if there's opportunity, and I'm okay with it, then he would he would do it. But if not, it, you know, it was totally my decision. And um, just uh, his background as a player going through it a lot was something that I, uh, you know, talked to him a lot about just to see what he thought about certain certain situations. Uh, he he's been through it all, whether a player, assistant GM, or, or you know, the, the interim GM now. And uh, just from, from day one when he's been there, he's been fantastic. And um, you know, I'm thankful for him. Have you played with anybody in the room at all? Uh, I've not. Uh, I just played against a lot of them for a while here, and uh, yeah, so it's not uh, even summers, anything like no, that. No, honestly, I as soon as it, uh, you know, as soon as it, I thought it was gonna be a possibility, you start looking at the roster. Obviously, I know the roster, but uh, you know, you start looking, trying to th- dig through the database there to see if you've uh, actually. Uh, you know, play with anyone, but uh, just uh, a lot of good guys in there. It's been they've been very welcoming. Um, you know, this morning and today, and looking forward to uh, continuing on here. How about that story with Ryan Pulak? I mean, uh, I think that was that was great that that Pulley, uh, you know, would offer up the number six to a veteran, and I think it's great that Andy Green, you know, immediately understood that he did. You know, he's not the kind of guy to make waves in a room uh, you know obviously I covered the Devils for a couple of seasons before getting to the Islanders beat so I just wanted to share a real quick personal story about you know my interactions with Andy Green on that beat uh, which were all positives and uh, I will say as the Devils captain uh, Andy Green is one of the most accountable players you'll see I mean he was I, I'm pretty sure he was available in the room after every single 82 games, and there were some bad seasons for the Devils in there, but Andy never shied away from talking, and he was analytical and honest in 
you know, talking about how the Devils played. But uh, before that, I, before the I was on the Devils beat, I, I, I covered the Rangers for a long, long time, you know, going back to 2003, as I've mentioned, uh, through the 2015-16 season. Um, but as the 2015-16 season wound down, um, and I was still at the, uh, the Record, which is a, a New Jersey paper based in uh, Bergen County, um, and, and the Devils, you know, I'd been covering the Rangers, the Devils was, uh, you know, for a Jersey paper, the Devils is more of the, the marquee beat, just as, you know, on Long Island for Newsday, the Islanders is kind of the marquee beat, um, just makes sense, um, local team. So, you know, the, the, the Devil's Beat becomes open uh, at the end of the 2015-16 season. Uh, my editor had called me and said, you know, really, the, the, the plan was most likely for me to be switched from the Rangers to the Devils. But, you know, sort of like Tom Fitzgerald talking to, uh, to Andy Green about a trade, my editor said to me, look, I know you have a long history with the uh, the Rangers, and if you don't want to switch beats, we we would respect that. And I, I was really, you know, up in the air. Uh, there there is a comfort in you know being around one team for for a long long time, um, but you know, obviously, like I said, I, I knew the circumstances, and you know, so long story short, I wound up uh, going to Devil's Breakup Day at the end of the 2015-16 season. Um, in April, and I didn't know, honestly, didn't really know anyone in that room, you know, wasn't, you know, uh, none of the former Rangers there uh, are, you know, really even that familiar with the PR staff, I dealt with them, but, you know, I, I hadn't gotten to really know them yet, uh, so I'm wandering around the room, and, you know, a couple of players were, were, you know, friendly with me. The PR staff had, I guess, prepped everyone that I might be the, the, the next guy on the beat for next season. Uh, I remember Steven Gianta, uh, you know, taking, you know, being very gracious with his time. Mike Camilleri, uh, you know, chatting me up. But um, what, what I really took out of it was uh, Andy Green came over to me on that day. And, you know, I, I must have looked like a lost puppy, really, wandering around the room. You know, every reporter in there, you know, is, is familiar with these players and getting, you know, end-of-season stuff. And I'm just trying to navigate my way through. And Andy Green, you know, sought me out, took me aside, and, and really just, we chatted for, uh, it was probably a good 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. We chatted about hockey. We chatted about life. We chatted about the newspaper business. We chatted about where the devils were. We, we just, and, you know, probably 99% of the stuff we chatted about, I don't think I wrote up. It was just two people getting to know each other and, and chatting. And uh, I, I can't, explain properly just how comfortable Andy Green made me feel that day and you know basically saying anything you need just let me know and you know we're, we're kind of excited to have you take over the beat and uh, you know it always meant a lot to me and, and that was kind of my first thought when uh, I found out Andy got traded here you know basically uh, I was happy to see him again because uh, you know he's a guy I like uh, a heck of a lot and I, I think both is uh a person and as a player, he is going to help the Islanders. So in, instead of a, a 
another player interview right now. We usually do a spot in the middle of the show. I sat down with the radio uh, analyst for the Islanders, Greg Picker, who I'm sure you've all listened to. And uh, Greg and I have been uh, kind of going back and forth and trading ideas on how we would do alignment in the NHL. Uh, with the 32nd franchise, uh, Seattle, coming in. So uh, Greg and I sat down here in Arizona, and uh, uh, we present a plan to you. We're going to take a break, a quick break, or maybe not so quick break, from the Andy Green and otherwise trade talk uh, to discuss a hypothetical that uh, we would love Gary Bettman to uh, give us a buzz on. I'm uh, sitting here, it's a beautiful Arizona night, sitting with uh, Greg Picker here, which is his Twitter handle. You know him as the Islanders radio analyst, and uh, he's really good at math, much better at math than I am, and uh, what we're going to discuss here is uh, neither one of us likes the NHL alignment. We don't like the eight-team or the seven-team uh, divisions. We, we, we don't like the schedule. And uh, with Seattle coming in, uh, my friend Greg here has uh, come up with a proposal for a new league alignment. <laughs> Andrew, I think it's something that we've kind of just, you know, off the cuff here and there have talked about it amongst all of us uh, on the media side of things. Barry Trotz even recently said that he wasn't really a big fan of the way the playoff format is. Right. With, with, with the issue being the way it is now, and the NHL loves it because they can do the NCAA-style bracket and market that, which is which is everything based upon, this is based upon, but you have team number, you know, the first place team in a division playing possibly the second best team in the league in the second round, and you're missing out on good later round action. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think it was, I forgot what year, but a few seasons ago, Columbus may have had the fifth best record in the NHL, and they were on the road in round one and playing the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Washington Capitals were obviously in that Metro bracket and you knew two of those three teams were going to be eliminated by the end of round two and Barry was a part of that obviously and the Penguins ended up moving out of those three teams onto the conference finals and eventually cup. Right, and and Barry's uh, further point was, you know, the two straight years, the Capitals are the President's Trophy winner, and one year the Penguins finished second in the Metro with the second most points in the league and they're playing in the second round when, in reality, that, that at minimum, should have been the conference final. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 even in 2017-18, um, in I think a lot of people forget because everybody was so excited about the, the Golden Knights run, but I remember that Central Division second-round matchup, a lot of people felt like that was the Western Conference final between the Predators and the Jets were two of the best teams in the Western yeah. Conference all season long, and... That's a big part of the reason probably why Vegas ended up going on to the final because the Predators and the Jets beat each other up for seven games. Winnipeg <laughs> moves on and loses in five to the Vegas Golden Knights. So that was just another thing where that really probably should have been the Western Conference final that year. But obviously the, the storyline of the Golden Knights made it kind of okay in the NHL's eyes that yeah. they were the team that ended up going on to the Stanley Cup final that year. And again, as I mentioned, you know, it's marketing that pushes anything in business, big business, where you can make money. And the NHL loves when the playoffs start, you know, fill out your bracket, right? You know, just like the NCAA, fill out your bracket, play the game, compete. So it, 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 it's going to be hard for the NHL to, to go away from that now. But 
Barry Trotz, what he would like to see is you get to the first round as is, and then you recede. You also look, though, at last year, and part of our argument of, oh, the the top teams should have, quote-unquote, the easiest path through the second round, Tampa Bay Lightning didn't win a single game in the playoffs, and they were we're still rewarded with that second wild card matchup in the Eastern Conference last year, but that's that's most likely a fluke. We're rarely going to ever see something like that. Even a top seed could lose here and there, but rarely are they going to be swept in the first round and, and throw off then this entire sort of debate for a season. <laughs> well, and if you, you talk to anyone around the NHL, they will always tell you that that first round is the hardest round to get through and obviously that you know the lightning win 62 games last season and you know they probably did not have the right mental edge going into that that series against columbus but anyway so that that that's kind of the background and greg and i have discussed this uh, off microphone a few times here but greg has come up with a plan uh, a and and uh, a little more detailed, my, my kind of, you know, uh, nebulous idea was that the NHL should go to an NFL style, which is, you know, eight divisions of four, team e- four teams each, four in each conference. I'd like to see, you know, you get each division winner in, and then you get, you know, four more wild cards regardless of division. That's my grand plan. Greg has taken that, one, you know, a little bit further, so I'll, I'll let Greg kind of uh, let you know what he's come up with. I'm definitely in agreement with you on that. The eight team, eight divisions of four teams each. Division win guarantees you a playoff spot, but unlike past history, at least in recent years, does not guarantee you even home ice in the first round. So you could be a division winner and really be the last team in to the playoffs in your conference. So four division winners, four wild cards from each conference, and we'll just give you kind of the breakdown how. In our debates, this is kind of where we've come up with right now. Uh, Obviously, we'll start with the Islanders group of four, Isles, Rangers, Devils, and Flyers. Those were four of the five teams in what was the Atlantic Division from the late 90s to uh, just a couple years ago. Right. When they did the whole realignment and and the Metropolitan Division was created. So that's a group of four. And and they screwed up by taking the Atlantic Division teams, putting them in the Metropolitan, and then renaming the other division the Atlantic. So people like us who have been following hockey forever are now all confused. (laughs) the, the, The biggest group from the old division that became the Atlantic was the Northeast, but all of a sudden you throw the Florida teams in there, and it's tough to call that the Northeast right. division, so <laughs> that's why that had to change somewhat. So I, we can move on to what I would right. then so, call the Northeast. Right, so we're calling the Islanders, Rangers, Devils, and Flyers the Atlantic, and now you get to the Northeast. Which four of these, these are four teams that made up the old Northeast, plus the Buffalo Sabres who weren't there. So this new Northeast would be... The three Eastern Canadian teams, the Canadians, the Senators, the Maple Leafs, and the Bruins, obviously. Makes uh, sense for yeah, rivalries. Yeah, the only thing that loses out there potentially is taking away the Leafs and Sabres, but still having the Canadians and Leafs, the Leafs and Senators, the Bruins and Canadians, there's just so much history there, and that's more important probably than yeah. having the Sabres and Leafs still together. Right, and if you go to 14 divisions, you're just, you know, you can't 
it does all not all the pieces are going to fit perfectly and i agree that you know perfect world you'd like the the sabers and the leafs together but i i would prefer to see these four teams together and probably the thing that stands out the most when we talk about those four teams in the atlantic no pittsburgh penguins yeah when you're talking about division with the flyers and them not only the flyers but obviously the islanders the rangers devils have all had history with the penguins but that Pennsylvania rivalry wouldn't be there. Like we said, there are going to be some teams that unfortunately get broken up. But I look back in most of the 90s, or at least for, I think, four or five seasons in the 90s, the Flyers and the Penguins were not in the same division. So there is some history there of those two teams being broken up. Okay. So we can get to that division, though, that does have both the Penguins and the Sabres. Then you add in the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Detroit Red Wings. And Yes, you have to kind of call that the Great Lakes Division. Even I, I love that name. Pittsburgh I, and Columbus aren't right on the the Great Lakes like the uh, the Red Wings and the Sabers are, but yeah. still not too far away. Right. So that's that's a group of four. You have history there. The the Penguins and the Blue Jackets have had a couple of memorable playoff series. The Penguins and the Red Wings obviously played each other in the Stanley Cup Final not all that long ago, back to back years. So and geographically, that that just makes sense. Those four teams together. And then you you round out the Eastern Conference or whatever you want to call it. I was I think if you're going geographic, you you stay with the Eastern and Western conferences and don't go back to the Campbell or the Wales or anything like that. But that's that's another debate. <laughs> if you wanted to actually come up with eight different names for each of these divisions, historical hockey figures like you used to have as hockey figures being yeah. the yeah. the name for the divisions until the '90s. But that's nah, I, I didn't go that far this nah, time around. No, nah, I I prefer the geographical. When you you know if the league's going to be thirty-two teams, I think it makes sense to give you know when you glance at things to have a sense of where the teams are. But you round out the Eastern Conference with the Southeast Division of Washington, Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida. I think that makes perfect sense. You got the two Florida teams together. Carolina is not a long trip, and Carolina Washington is kind of a, a geographical rivalry. And it's easy because. Both before the Atlanta Thrashers moved to Winnipeg, those were four of the five teams in the old Southeast Division. So that one was probably the easiest to come up with. You don't break up too many rivalries. Yeah, the Capitals and the Penguins have had some fun battles over the years. But you're not breaking up real traditional rivalries the same way, at least that you may have a little bit here and there in some of the other divisions. All right, so now moving to the... I'm assuming would be the Western Conference. Uh, let's start in the Midwest. That's a name that doesn't exist in the NHL <laughs> right now, or at least historically division-wise, but uh, the Blackhawks, the Blues, the Predators, and the Stars. So Chicago, St. Louis, Nashville, and Dallas, those are four teams that are all currently in the Central Division together. And most notably, obviously, you have the, the Blackhawks-Blues rivalry right in there. All right, and then the Central, you have Winnipeg and Minnesota, which are going to be together. You got Colorado and Arizona. That's the one that has the widest geographical range. But when you look at the eight teams that are left, it really is what makes the most sense. In the NHL, who hasn't officially announced anything, but it seems like they are going to stick with the four divisions of eight teams once Seattle comes in. And it sounds like Arizona is going to be moving to the Central Division. So in the real plan, not the hypothetical Andrew and Greg plan, (laughs) Arizona is going to be with those three other teams to begin with. And you obviously have the really natural Winnipeg, Minnesota, which are very close to each other. Colorado, Arizona, not too far apart from each other. So you can still kind of match those teams up and... If you're Arizona and you might be playing in Minnesota-Winnipeg a few extra times a year, at least you're going to them 
probably on back-to-back situations in consecutive games at least. Right. Probably closest to Arizona, obviously, would be Vegas. But you have Vegas in the Pacific, which I think makes a ton of sense because that's San Jose and then the two L.A. teams, L.A., Los Angeles, and Anaheim and Vegas is, you know, what is that? It's like a 45-minute flight from, from Vegas. So, you know, that, may, that makes sense having those four together. When Vegas came into the league, I think a lot of people were hoping that they would form a natural rivalry with the Coyotes, mm-hmm. two desert teams. Rivalries sometimes form naturally in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and we've seen Vegas and San Jose come together a couple of memorable times already, so already that is their biggest rival, and you're not going to break up San Jose from the two other Californian teams, and geographically it just makes sense. The only thing is, yeah, Vegas and, and Arizona are pretty close to each other, but they're already, it seems like, being split up anyway, so if you're you're splitting up into divisions of four, it just, I think, makes the most sense. And then that leaves Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, and Seattle, which, you know, every time a team gets sent out to Western Canada, they stop in Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, so those teams group together naturally, and Seattle and Vancouver just, they those two teams have to be in the same division, and that would be, of course, the Northwest. Yeah, which was the old name that Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary were in back then. They were with Minnesota and Colorado. So this one is even easier travel-wise for those four teams than what it used to be. Of course, there was no Seattle back in the days of the previously named Northwest Division. All right, so I'm going to let you go through how you've worked out the math on the schedules for this and your playoff format, and then I might chirp you at the end. (laughs) Now, you said I was good at math before. I would not say that's the case, but I did put this together and double check with Eric Hornick. I'm saying you're good at math relative to me. <laughs> so I put this together. <laughs> I put it together and you get to keep the 82 games and double checked with Eric that all my math made sense and he said, yes, go right ahead. So your divisional play, you have three other opponents within your division, play them six times each. That brings you to 18 games right there. Within your conference, you have the three other divisions of four teams each. That leaves 12 other conference opponents. You play three times each, which is how things are currently set up. Mm -hmm. If you're in the Metro, you play the Atlantic teams three times each, alternating twice there, once here, then twice here, once there, the next year. So that brings you to 36 games in conference play outside your division. So you're up to 54. Then from the other conference take three of those four divisions and you play each of those teams home and away. So that's 24 total games, 12 teams from those three divisions, which is currently how things are set up when you go to the other conference. You play everybody in the other conference home and away right now in the NHL. That leaves your one division left and you have four games left. You play each of those teams just once. So you're still going to from your 31 opposing venues, you're still going to 29 of 31 every year, and you're still playing all 31 other teams in the NHL every year. And when you looked at some of the past history, there were those few years right after the 05 lockout where you weren't going to 10 of the 15 opposing venues in the other conference. Instead of missing out on 10, now you're only missing out on two. And if you do the math and you cycle through, you keep the cycle going, you're still going to every other conference's home arena seven times of every eight seasons. So that was one thing that a lot of people had an issue with. Oh, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin coming into this league, and 
it took them three years to get to a few buildings, mm -hmm. which you wouldn't have that same problem. At most, you're only waiting one extra year, and you're still getting there seven out of every eight seasons. All right, and how do you have the playoff set up? Uh, something we, we kind of touched on earlier. You still have the eight teams from each conference, from your division winners, those guys automatically get in. And then from the remaining 12 teams, the four wild cards get in. And seeding is completely based off points from that point. So you realistically could have a division winner being, you would call the eighth seed. And then you reseed from each round, kind of like what Barry Trotz was hoping for and what we've seen in the past until this format was implemented in 2013-14, at least in the decade and change before that. All right, so the chirps here. Just I, I Something we always <laughs> do to each other here on these, for us media guys on the road, media, the, media crew on the road. Yes. Uh, the, the first thing is I, I think the division winner should be rewarded. You know, even in the NFL, when there's a 7-9 and nine team that wins a division or that has been the case or an 8-8 eight and eight team, I know it drives people crazy that they're hosting, you know, a wild card team would say an 11 of 5 record. I think you have to give weight to winning a division. I I, I disagree with you because of the fact that you could have similar to a 7 and 9 or 8 and 8 team in the playoffs, you could have yeah. a even though this is technically well yeah. over NHL 500, a 90 point team once in a while could win a division and they yeah, you could say they, they are deserving of a playoff spot, but probably not to host a team that may have finished with 106 points, but because there was a 112-point team within their own division, your 16-point differential and you have 16 more points than your opponent, and yet you're the ones going on the road, I don't love that idea. All right, see, I, I want the reward because you're emphasizing divisional play in this format. So these teams are beating the crap out of each other for the most part during the season. I, I just think that to get to the top of that heap, regardless of how high the top of that heap is, I, I just think for the first round of the playoffs, you should get home ice advantage if you're a division winner. I, I get that. At the same time, 18 games out of, thir out of 82. Yeah. Not the highest percentage where... In the NFL, 6 out of 16, I guess the, the numbers are probably pretty similar there, but mm -hmm. because you don't even play everybody in the NFL, divisional play is so much more important right. than here. But again, to get back to the six games against your three divisional opponents, a point that I, I kind of wanted to make, go back to early this season. The Islanders played the Penguins three times in that, I think it was a 14-day span or something like that. That yeah. felt like a playoff intensity. Yes. And then it kind of just petered out, and the teams don't play again until late March. Right. So that's why, and the Rangers, the Islanders played the Rangers three times in nine days. Yeah. That was great. Maybe eight games like we saw yeah. in the past from 05 to 08. Eight games is probably overkill. Yeah. But you have three games in a nine-day stretch, and then one other game the rest of the season. Islanders and Rangers didn't play each other until January. Yeah. It just there's not enough spread throughout the course of the season where when you have those six games you could still have once in a while a, a three and 14 day stretch to get that playoff intensity mm -hmm. and then oh we'll see you in a month and we'll see you in another month after that not oh we'll see you in four months from now right the the other thing that i like and this is you know this is my philosophy this is why i love the more divisional games because you're creating that that hatred that that playoff like intensity and those rivalries 
I'd like to see even more games within the conference. I know you got three against the other three divisions. I'd bump that up to four. So, and I think that, you know... There, there is precedent for that. Yeah. Because th- for a long time, when you had the six divisional setup, the t- divisions of five for a number of years after the round of expansion, late 90s, early 2000s, you played everybody in your conference, not in your own division, four times each, mm-hmm. which is what you're advocating for. Right, and I think that solves a little bit, like we talked about Buffalo and Toronto under this plan, would not be in the same division now. Philly, Pittsburgh. Get right, without. so you're alleviating that a little bit by giving them four each, and I'm, I'm fine skipping teams. I, I know, you know what you're saying about this way every team plays each other, I am fine. I, I, I just like, you know, so I, I've covered too many of these East versus West games on like, you know, a, a Thursday night with that where not many people come into the building because they're not familiar with the team. I'd rather see these rivalries be developed and, and, and you know, fostered. We're in Arizona right now. Uh, here's a prime example of why I don't think you can ignore the inter conference matchups. Austin Matthews grows up here, Mm -hmm. gets drafted first overall to an Eastern Conference team. It's a huge deal whenever he comes to play in Arizona. That can't happen only once every three, once every four years. I think that's something that has to happen. Now, under my plan, it's not every year, but still seven of every eight seasons is enough to get him to this building pretty frequently. But is there, are there enough of those examples? I think we'll see more and more. Right. 20 years ago, yeah, you only had Ooh. probably NHL players from five U.S. states. Mm-hmm. Now you see NHL players, I don't know the exact number, but probably from 20 to 25 states yeah. throughout the entire league. Yeah, I mean, the example I'm thinking of was when I was covering the Devils. You had Blake Coleman and Stefan Nason from Plano, Texas. And when they came in and played the Stars, it was like, you know, it was a huge homecoming. And I get, like, if that only happened once every four years, you know, chances are neither one's with the Devils, you know, the next time they come in. It wasn't that long ago where you didn't have really any guys from Florida. Yeah. You have Shane Gostaspare, the Hughes, you know, there are plenty of these examples now of players from southern states, all these California players that are throughout the NHL, so you, you have that now, and I think it is important to get those guys to those venues frequently. I'm just trying to weigh it against the, the fans who know that, against the fan who just goes to the arena and just wants to scream because he hates the Flyers, or scream because he hates the Bruins, and there's not that, an Islander fan is much more likely to hate the Flyers, to hate the Bruins, you know, to hate the Canadians than he is to, you know, hate the Jets or hate, you know, you know, the Blues even, you know, or, or another Western team. There's definitely merit to that argument. Yeah. The way I look at things, there are other factors that kind of trump that and make it so that yeah it's it's great to see those teams frequently it'll be better for nhl attendance in general when you know buffalo who's struggled over the last decade they're not selling out every game but when the maple leafs come to town yeah they're gonna sell out those games so that does help 
when you have more matchups closer to each other, and I know under our plan they're not in the same division, but it's still the argument you could be making that about a lot of teams throughout the NHL. All right. Um, you, you typed this up. You emailed it to me. Are you going to CC uh, Bill Daly and Gary Bettman here? <laughs> we send it right in and take our commission on this. Maybe, maybe they're going to be listening to, uh, to this podcast here. Maybe it'll spark an idea. Maybe somebody in the office will say, oh, Andrew Gregg may, uh, may have a little idea here and get it in their ear. Um. All right. I'll. Uh, hey, Gary. Good talking to you. <laughs> all right. Hey, Greg. Listen, this is fascinating stuff. I'm sure there'll be other topics we debate, and maybe we can uh, debate something else on the air. But uh, this is a uh, fun food for thought here. Appreciate you having, having me on here, Andrew. It's been a blast. Well, that was certainly fun. Uh, a little bit something different for the podcast, but. Uh, I enjoyed that, just uh, going over a hypothetical situation. But, uh, you know, some real feelings from Greg and I as to uh, how uh, we feel Mr. Bettman and Mr. Daly and uh, the owners could make this league a little bit more uh, equitable and uh, enjoyable, in their, in our opinion. But uh, thank you again to Greg Picker for uh, putting so much work into that. Greg is very meticulous, always uh, very well prepared. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, enjoyed the uh, the input there. And uh, um, from there, we're going to uh, turn back um, a little bit different again in terms of uh, Andrew's answers. But we go to Twitter for that regular segment. Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And this week, in, instead of asking you to submit questions, I figured we'd go right to the heart of the matter and just have you guys uh, tell me what you thought of the Andy Green trade. You've, uh, you know, the, the majority here has been pushing and wanting a trade for a long time. Again, this is uh, only Lou Lamarillo's second deal since uh, becoming the Islanders boss in May of 2018. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it was, uh, a long time coming. And like I said, uh, just wanted to hear from all of you as to what you thought of the deal. So, uh, we're just going to go through as usual and we'll start out with old school Mountie who says, I like the green trade. A rental on defense makes perfect sense. It allows trots to rest not only Dobson, but also Boychuk. This is, however, a job half done without a significant addition to the top six. It means nothing. Make it happen, Lou. Uh, Donald Rosner says, extremely happy to have Andy here. Besides the fact that the Islanders uh, look off, he will fill a much-needed hole left by Pellick. Do you think there is another piece out there that Lou might target besides the obvious Toffoli, Pajot, etc. And if not, are we ready to make a push? Um, a little question there. Uh, obviously, uh, Tyler Toffoli goes to the Canucks. Pajot is still in Ottawa. Um, Jason Zucker is also off the board. Travis Zajac has said he uh, he will he's not going anywhere. And uh, Devils interim GM Tom Fitzgerald, who uh, just traded Andy Green to the Islanders, also said that Travis Zajac is not out there. Um, not that I'm looking to basically bring everyone from New Jersey over to the island, but uh, I, I've said before, you know, when I mentioned that I thought Andy Green would be a good piece, I also thought that 
Kyle, Kyle Palmieri would be a good piece. And, uh, you know, I don't know whether or not Lou tried to make a, uh, you know, get both guys there or not. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I still think they need to address up front. They got the defenseman they needed. Now they need to still get a forward. And, uh, you know, the time is, uh, the clock is ticking on that one. Um, the Island Sheik says, I love the Andy Green deal. Solid left D-man that can kill penalties and eat, and eat minutes if it's followed up with a great deal to give us scoring give us the scoring pop trot said we needed after last season if it's not if it's not followed up it's a band-aid when you need surgery uh john bushy says i think it's funny to see those that blasted the trade 20 minutes ago are now kissing its behind um he didn't say behind but i'm not 100% 100% sure exactly what I can get away with on the podcast, so we'll just say behind there. Uh, Alan Malkin says, um, it's a second in the future, not this draft, and an okay prospect for a leader and a very dependable playoff hockey piece to fill the pellet hole. Why people hate on a solid hockey move is beyond me. SP19 Hockey says, love this as it adds another solid... Uh, solid D first D man who can also mentor, lead by example, and be a supplemental ver- veteran voice in Trotz's system, helping forwards like Barzell refocus and keep it simple as he was earlier in the season, playing his best two way game. Andrew says, Well, this is a question, but in your opinion, do you think we paid more for Green because the Devils are in our division? If so, what do you think it would have been if they weren't? And no, I, I don't think being in the division uh, affected the price for Andy Green. I think what affects the price for any defenseman at this stage is that every single playoff contender typically is looking for a D-man at this time of year. It's, you know, every team just is looking to shore that up and injuries and all that. And, uh, you know, so that's what drives the market price up more than uh, divisional uh, or geography or anything like that. Um, Isles Cubs fan says they were playing with, in effect, four and a half defensemen. Noah, Noah Dobson, getting sheltered minutes and 55s, that's Johnny Boychuk's, minutes were down to keep him fresh. Short term, not a problem, but it's, a, but it's bad long term, and, and it started to show with the other guys. Good move. Now Lou needs to get help up front. Patrick says, fills a big need, hoping he can slide into the top pair with Pulak, uh, which he did, Andy Green did. Uh, Dobson can be used to rest Boychuk, fill in his needered. Now go get a scorer. That seems to be a theme here. Brandon says, I like it if slightly costy, costly. Would have rather given up a three, not a two, but it's still a solid veteran presence and solid D-man that was lost with Pelic injury. Now they need a pure score. No more playmakers. No one is currently willing to take the burden to be the trigger man. And it it is a... Uh, a uh, a good point there that you know they do need you know someone a pure goal scorer to just get the puck on net you know something they're they're certainly hoping Jordan Everly uh, can do but you know probably needs help up there. Um, Doc Ed says the amount Lou sent to sent for Green s- seems a lot, 
but these last few games showed we desperately need help on D. Besides, we shouldn't complain Lou does nothing and then complain when he does make a deal. This shows Lou is willing to trade for a rental. Next step, get us a center. Timothy Finnegan says, He's 37 and hasn't played meaningful games in two years. We gave up a second in 2021. How does he cost a second? Only Lou would pay this price for this plug because he knows him. This is okay if we get some help on offense. If it's the same lineup on February 24th, what was the point of this? Brooks said... Much needed peace after Pelic went down, and I don't think giving up a second is really that much, considering Isles have maybe one second rounder on their current roster. Uh, Ken Timk, uh, T-I-M-Q-U-E, Ken says, This accomplishes nothing. This team has too many holes to make any kind of a playoff run. A second rounder is too much, should have been no higher than a fifth. Bring up Aho, that being Sebastian Aho, and give him a chance. Can't explain why they keep holding this kid back. Mike T says, "I like the deal a lot. It feel, it feel, um, assuming it fills a big need, but I thought the draft pick was around too high. However, maybe that's the only way it was going to happen. And if it resolidifies the defense, then in the end, it will have been worth it." Mark Beck says, uh, I refer you to my question you uh, in uh, quote marks ducked last week. And if I did, Mark, uh, honestly, I I don't recall seeing a question. I apologize, but uh, let's see what we can do for you. I refer you to the question you ducked last week. Inside story of your 32nd Newsday made for your pod. He's talking about that kind of in-house ad that you'll see on our website. (laughs) And also, if you go to the Islanders uh, practice facility, Northwell Health Ice Rink in in East Meadow, where they practice, um, you will see the house ad being run on the big video board uh, as you walk in. It's on a rotation. I am both very proud and uh, incredibly embarrassed uh, that people around the Islanders have been pointing that out to me. But um, let's see. So I refer you to my ducked question, inside story of your 30-second Newsday made for your pod. So you always wear a shirt and a tie? Was that an actual pod, actual quotes, or you just read unfinished sentences? Um, Let's see. I'll start with the easy stuff, which is no, do not always wear a tie. I I do try and uh, dress, you know, uh, nice shirt, collared shirt, button-down shirt, something you could wear a tie with. You typically wear that to games. Um, I made the executive decision long time ago uh, to, to eschew the tie because basically... I just feel like I'm choking, I break out in sweats, and I know what you're saying, you know, get a smaller neck or a bigger shirt or don't tie it so hard. And look, I've tried all that stuff. Ties make me sweat, you know, only if I need to. Um, Now, was that an actual pod, an actual quotes, or you just reading unfinished sentences? Uh, I don't know if my Newsday bosses are going to give me 
grief over this. But yeah, no, that was what what happened was they uh I was in the Newsday uh recording studio there uh to record an actual podcast and they did ha- shoot me there. Um doing some stuff. I don't know whether any of the actual pod made it into the 32nd uh, house ad, but uh, they did shoot me at the end, uh, specifically, you know, reading some some scripted questions there. So uh, I'm sorry if that breaks down the wall too much, but... uh, you know, it, it was it was kind of fun to be part of, uh, probably as close to I'll ever get to being on a movie set. You know, there were a couple of cameras, there were lights in there, there was a director telling me what to do, and I'm just fumbling through all of it. So uh, a lot of fun, and thanks for actually watching the 30 seconds. Um, let's see, uh, Lou Island Islander says, plugs a big hole in the dam. If he can get us back to a shutdown team, only need a middle six forward and get back to winning games 3-2 and 2-1 instead of losing games 4-3 or 3-2. Price a bit high, but not terrible, assuming in top 10 next year and not bottom 10. Craig E says, uh, WTF are we doing? A second round pick for a declining 37-year-old D rental. Lou just helping out his old team now. We need a, da- a darn scorer. Aho could have been the answer had we given him a chance. Jerry Rizzo says, great move, character player, penalty killer, can log a lot of minutes, left-handed to replace Pelly, that's Pelic. Love the move. In Trots We Trust says, like the player, not the return. A second was a big overpay. I had his return as a fourth rounder. Digger says, need offense, not defense. Coho says, uh, oh, okay, I I guess I screwed this up on the last episode. Says, hey, Andrew, Corey from Yellowknife, Northwest Territories again. I won't fault you for butchering it the first time, but hopefully not the second. And my Twitter handle is Coho. Any word on Tanner Fritz? Um, And no, I have not seen him, obviously, in the lineup, I am not. I don't believe he is practicing yet, and it's a really a shame there because, uh, again, Tanner Fritz is a guy who probably would have gotten a chance instead of Cole Bardreau, uh if he's healthy. Much like you know Thomas Hickey would have gotten a call up over Sebastian Aho, um, and probably would have been in the lineup instead of Noah Dobson uh, at the time of Pellick's injury. But um, you know it's the business, and uh, those guys get hurt, and you got to go with what is available to you. Um, Coho says, also, thoughts on Green as an option next season with Letty as an option to be moved out to free up cap. I imagine Green would be taking a significant pay cut on our one or two year deal. And yeah, you know, I haven't gotten a chance to talk to Andy yet about what, you know, his future plans are. Uh, Obviously, uh, you know, in the last year of a deal here, making five mil uh, a season, I believe, uh, at 37, you know, I, I believe if, you know, the Islanders showed interest in him for next season, um, he would certainly consider it. I don't think, you know, he's got a you know, four-year-old and a two-year-old at home, you know, a home in New Jersey. 
I don't know how much you know he wants to uproot at this point in his life. I think coming to the Islanders was certainly easy for him. He can actually commute, you know, uh, from New Jersey. Although you know he'll probably uh, you know for morning skates night before uh, he'll probably have the team put him up in a hotel rather than trying to uh, fight morning rush hour traffic. But the point is he'll be around his family a little bit more than he would have been if he'd say if he had been traded to Minnesota. Um, I, I think that's in the future. Um, you know, I, I don't, at, for right now, my point being is I think the Islanders are looking at Green as a rental. Now, you know, if there is a spot next season, certainly Lou has a lot of trust in the guy, but I don't think he's a first option for a top six for next season. But I, I think things can change as we go down and as far as Letty is an option to be moved out to free up cap, you know, you know, Pulak's gonna be uh you know needing a contract and Taze is gonna need a contract and uh and Matthew Barzell's gonna need a contract and you know even if you get away conservatively uh, thirteen you know, maybe eighteen to twenty million, uh, maybe, you know, around there 18 million 17 million somewhere around there to sign those three guys and maybe I'm being conservative so yeah you do need to free some money I just know you know Barry really 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 respects Nick Letty's game and his skating and and I I think it would be a hard sell to Barry to trade Nick Letty but again their you know financials often uh, overcome uh, coach desires in, in the NHL um Matteo Masati says, gross overpay, that's my take. Um, Brian G. said, will Ajo get a chance to play even with the green trade? And uh, I'm sorry, Brian, uh, obviously, you know, you you asked me that before they sent, uh, uh, oh, well, maybe not. Uh, will Ajo get a chance to play even with the green trade? Obviously, you know, Ajo gets sent back to Bridgeport. Um, I, I think right now the pecking order is still Noah Dobson will get the next chance um, whenever someone needs to sit as the seventh D-man. Um, probably, you know, unless there are more injuries, I, I, Sebastian Ajo is probably not getting a chance now, um, but he'll have a chance in training camp if, you know, the Islanders don't trade him or anything uh, next season, um, uh, which is what I'm looking down. Lou Islander, Lou Island Islanders said next year when Letty gets moved, uh, Tara Taylor says I'm in the minority clearly, but this was a necessary move at the very least. Can everyone appreciate that someone actually waived their no trade clause to come to the Islanders? Um, and Doc Ed, and we'll finish on this, just commenting on Tara Taylor, says, good point on the no-trade clause, and I don't think you're in the minority. And uh, no, Tara, you were not. Uh, you know, just an uh, uh, unscientific poll. I, I'd say that that was probably, what, about 65 70% in favor of this trade, uh, although the general consensus being that Lou probably... The second rounder was a little bit of an overpay, but again, 
you know, you're going to overpay for defensemen at this time of the year. And at this time, that is it for this episode of Island Ice. I am Andrew Gross. You can find me on Twitter for all my musings and links and uh, nonsense at A Gross Newsday. You can find everything Islanders on the Newsday website at newsday.com backslash sports. You can find Island Ice on the Newsday website. You can find it on SoundCloud, Google, Spotify, uh, Apple, wherever fine podcasts are found. We are there. And I will be back with you next week with another episode of Island Ice. Uh, And until then, happy hockey, everybody.